Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. He is a professor, a TED speaker, author of four different books, and is the co-founder of Immersion Neuroscience, a company that is first to allow anyone, anywhere, to quantitatively measure their immersion experience in real time. Welcome to the show, Paul Zach. How are you doing? Thank man? you so much, David Hardy. I am doing fabuloso. Thank you. Oh, great. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, so right off the bat here, um, an athlete can have all these kind of wearable devices that are going to give them feedback like heart rate so that they can train better and perform better physically. Um, so why can't a leader, salesperson, or even a nun uh, have something to measure and see how actively immersed and kind of if they're on the right track in the social situation? Or yeah. is there? So yeah, I'm a behavioral neuroscientist and I focus on social behaviors and why human beings can be so wonderful and bring us joy and also drive us insane sometimes. Um, right. And so, you know, how do we understand whether we're going to be pro-social or anti-social, uh, even without our own selves, not just other people, right? Um, and so, yeah, developed, a uh, you know, 25 years of, of research on the underlying neurochemical, neuroelectrical signals that tell us, hey, look, David's going to play nice, uh, everything's good, or, hey, you're going to play bad and uh, I may have to play worse. Uh, if it's going to go to blows or whatever. Um, so once we developed these technologies, uh, after 9-11, we were tasked by the U.S. Department of Defense and some other agencies to identify combinations of signals in the brain that would accurately and consistently predict what people would do after a message or an experience. So uh, I'm going to answer your question, but i got to give you a little background first. So uh, we spent a lot of years and millions of dollars of taxpayer money um, identifying how the brain values experiences, right? So if I want to create an experience and influence your behavior, which is what the U.S. government wanted to do with our allies and enemies uh, in the theater of war, I've got to actually know how you how your brain values that experience. And that's what we found, is when these experiences are sufficiently valued, then uh, people are likely to act on them. Great. So now we actually have this valuation mechanism in the brain, which is really cool. So again, it's all published science. People can Google me, whatever, and find it. Um, the question is, what do you do with that? Right. So um, I'm a very cheap guy, David. And, uh, you know, we got in the media and when companies started coming to, the, to our lab door with suitcases full of money saying, hey, we'd like to make, create better customer experiences or better employee experiences. Um, can you help us? I said, yeah, I got this $100,000 machine and 19 PhDs and, you know, write a check and we can do some work for you. And some people did that and they would really like the results. I give them the 100 slide PowerPoint deck and they would be super happy and never, ever talk to me again. Okay. Because too academic, too slow, too expensive. So I said, okay, there seems to be demand to understand how people value experiences. Like how do you make an extraordinary experience, right? Unless we have measurement, we're just guessing. So yeah. um, over many years, wrote code that allows us to infer this neurologic state I've called immersion, which is a convolution of several signals in the brain that we could talk about, but it's the brain's evaluation mechanism for social emotional experiences. 
And we can pull that data from smartwatches and fitness centers because the brain's embodied, right? So we just trace out these pathways with pharmaceuticals. Um, so we started a business that is, I think, the first neuroscience as a service business. So does anybody measure this? So people use it in marketing, use it in education and training. And increasingly, our, uh, we have a, a new product that is used for emotional fitness. So as you said, getting back to performance, you know, there's basically four things that humans can control that extend our health span. Diet, exercise, sleep, and the quality of our social connections. So the first three are easy to quantify. We all agree on them, right? Uh, so even sleep. I used to be like, eh, sleep's optional. I can go for three days. And they're like, oh, actually, when you look at the research, it's not optional. It's really important. So um, what about emotional connections? You know, how good are my emotional connections right now? I don't know. Compared to what, right? I mean, what's the metric? We don't know. So we developed a, an app that can first uh, neural activity in real time, algorithms in the cloud, cloud computing, machine learning, lots of fancy stuff, and gives people an ability to see their unconscious emotional state in real time on their phone and gives them goals so they can build up emotional fitness. So finally, I'm almost done. <laughs> Instead of saying wellness, good. emotional wellness, talk about fitness. Right. Wellness is like a zero one variable on well or unwell. But what we want to do is use this app, which is free so that people have goals. It learns about you and it helps you build up that emotional fitness. It doesn't mean I have to have a conversation with you every day, although that would be lovely. Um, it could be because the brain's so blunt on getting social emotional connection. It could be watching a movie, playing with my dog, uh, a, a, you know, a FaceTime call with my kid or whatever. So all that is going to build up my emotional fitness. But absolute measurement we're just kind of guessing, right? So that's what I've been doing with my uh, copious spare time. <laughs> that is insane. And before we dive into basically how this is all done, uh, well, we'll leave that for a little teaser in a bit. Um, let's say the listeners on this show right now have their smartwatch tuned in with your software. Uh, right now, what would be their changes in this metric? Yeah, so they'd be able to see second by second. This is my data right now. That smile means relative to baseline, I'm getting more value from this experience hanging out with you than I am at baseline, the <laughs> so 69. And the background is winter. That's my psychological safety. I'm a little bit stressed, David. You're stressing me out, but it'll, it'll oh, update. No, no. <laughs> and so this syncs to your calendar. So if we want to curate our lives for greater happiness, I really need to know what parts of my life really give me joy? What parts do I really invest in? And this neurologic state that I named immersion is not absent of stress, right? As you know, right. stress is actually good for you, right? Stress means yes. this is important. I'm putting energy into it. And immersion is also metabolically costly. It's an investment that your brain makes in processing fully this experience. Um, and so once I have a catalog of that over a course of weeks or months, I can say, oh, my highest immersion points over the last month have been um, hanging out with my kids or working with my students or whatever that is. And I go, okay. And the lowest immersion times are, I don't know, watching TV. Maybe I should watch less TV, right? So again, I think, you know, we need that individual insight. And the data is private to you. Um, there are, you know, corporate wellness programs and health insurers that use this, but it's all anonymized for them. So it's not uh, it's not shareable data. Oh, that's, that's good news right there because... Yeah, if we're talking oxytocin, build, building trust, uh, having data fly out there would not be part of it. Um, yeah, unless you want to. Really, are you yeah, gonna, yeah, I mean, totally. my, we haven't done this yet, but we have the, the backbone to do this, which is 
you know, something we we've all done. You're a super nice person. I'm sure you haven't done this, but I have. Like you come home, you've had a hard day, you're tired, you're stuck in traffic, and you're kind of cranky with your spouse, right? And you're like, um, or or your spouse is cranky with you, and inside you go, Why did I marry this woman? You know, you're thinking something like that. You don't say that because you're a good person, but not you. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my wife, why, why, you know, why is she so cranky? But what if I had a app on the phone. So this is again, something we're building, haven't done it yet, but it alerts me when my wife's having a bad day or alerts her when I'm having a bad day. So it says, Hey, by the way, your wife's had a really bad day. Pick up dinner, get some flowers. Like think how much better your relationship is. If you did choose volitionally to share that data with loved ones, or, you know, um, we've done work in the elderly who have a higher risk of depression, tend less likely to, to uh, report symptoms, but higher incidence of depression than younger people. My father's 91. I call him up. He's an engineer. How you doing, dad? Good. What'd you do today? Nothing. You feeling okay? Yes. I get nothing from him. But, you know, if I could actually see his um, his data and go, oh, yeah, he's actually pretty happy. He's doing pretty well. Um, man, I feel so much better. That would actually, yeah, be a very good, amazing product. Uh, I could also see it with coworkers, though. It's like, okay, maybe I'll avoid the boss right now. It doesn't, doesn't look happy. <laughs> so we have the ability to form groups on the app. So for, for employees, they're still anonymous. You invite your coworkers because we socially, emotionally regulate, which is a really interesting yes. thing for human, you know, for social creatures like humans. And so I can form a group of five, six people I work with. And there's a sort of a two by two matrix that you're going to see their data. I'm not going to know who that individual is. But if I see they have low immersion, they're kind of emotionally checked out and or they have low psychological safety, they're not feeling comfortable, I can send them a thumbs up, a heart. I can send them a message. Hey, just want to make sure you're okay. And so I think by being ahead of the curve for mental health, being proactive about this, we can keep people, again, building that emotional fitness so we really don't have the anxiety and depression crisis that we're having now. I mean, the suicide data is off the charts terrible. And it's horrendous. So we really have to do a better job at helping people build their emotional fitness. I think this is amazing. Um, this is putting it in a number, though. Um, how accurate is this number um, in comparison to maybe those people that are natural at reading somebody's ability? Have you kind of done those studies where you you compare how somebody can look at somebody's facial expressions, their body language? Uh, the color of of the the blood perfusion in the face, all these markers that we instinctively look at, and in comparison, is this one of the the things you you found in these decades of research in this field? Yeah, it's a great question. And we, as you said, we do that intuitively, right? We look at people's, particularly around their eyes, where people spend most of our time looking. Because the eyes give us a lot of feedback on the emotional states. Um, people with autism, for example, spend much less time looking at the eye area. They look more at the mouth and the ears. There's not as much emotional information there. Um, so it allows, I think the the big takeaway here is that you learn about your own emotional journey so you can control that and and build it. Um, you know, the sharing, you know, it's got to be something you want to do you know, voluntarily. You want to um, uh, so we're in clinical trials now with psychiatric patients. So you may want to, on a one-on-one, share that with my because he or she then avoids the recency bias. How are you doing right now when you're in therapy? Well, right now I'm fine. You know, weeks ago I was 
whatever, going to murder my spouse. Uh, please don't murder your spouse. But you know, I mean, what you really want to know is since your last appointment, like what is that time path been look, looking like? So what we've shown in published research is that we're able to predict with 98% accuracy, whether you'll be happy or sad, have high energy or low energy, um, reliably two days in advance, and probably longer than that, as we uh, have more and more people use this app, obviously we're mining these data. Um, so they're super informative and they're, you know, normalized run zero to hundred. Everyone understands zero to hundred, higher is better. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really think, I mean, just personally, if I'm honest with you, you know, I got 10 more years of my work life and all I want to do is make advances in mental health, make it proactive, give people tools and get ahead of the curve because it is just such a, uh, exploding disorder or set of disorders. And all the way, exactly. by the way, the other, sorry, David, I keep going, but you know, the other three, you know, uh, chairs of that health span leg, diet, exercise, sleep. If you have depressive symptoms, if you have low energy, you don't sleep as well, you don't eat as well, you're not going to exercise. So they all feed back on themselves. So I really love your focus on performance in a holistic sense. And part of that whole is, is emotional fitness. Absolutely, it is, and you're you're saying you can measure this about two days out. Um, are you finding that there's ways to intervene then and improve somebody's mood and emotional fitness as they're going through these hard times? Are predicting what might happen in in the future here? Yeah, that's that's the real key, and the app itself now has some suggestions. We have published thresholds that we hope clinicians will start to use that identify when interventions are necessary, when you're really in a trough for too long. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of low cost interventions that have been shown to be very effective if you can get people before they have a crisis, like a social worker calling you, right? Hey, David, you shared your data with uh, your clinician. I just want to check on you. It looks like you're not doing so well. Having someone check on you, even if they're paid to do it, for a lot of people, will bounce them out of that little trough. So we find that these, these troughs where people are really checked out, um, the average is between two and three per day, where they're three minutes or longer, where you're just like out of it. You're just not doing well neurologically. Um, when that increases to around 12, 14 a day, then it's very highly likely that you're depressed. So the, the probabilities kind of go straight up. Um, and so you can just count those, right? We, it's real simple and, you know, have a, have a threshold in which your clinician or a family member or someone goes, Hey, you know, Davis for three days has had, um, you know, uh, 14 immersion troughs or more for the last three days. He really needs to be checked on. Oh, awesome. That's great. Doesn't mean you need meds. Doesn't mean, means check on this person, right? The, the first intervention is a human connection. And it's really important. And it, again, it doesn't have to be someone you know necessarily, but someone who says, hey, you're important. Your emotional fitness is important. What can I do to help you? And maybe it's, you know, I, I can't go on and I really need clinical help. Great. We're going to send an ambulance, take you to the hospital. Or it could be, you know, my dog died and I just feel like I'm all alone. I wish I had someone to talk to. Awesome. I'll talk to you. And have you thought about getting a new dog? Have, you know, is there, is there a neighbor you can check in with? I mean, really simple kind of low cost interventions that make a huge difference, at least in the published scientific literature. Oh, absolutely. It would. Yeah. Now, are you also finding that the physical side of things, like if somebody goes out on, well, New Year's Eve and there's lack of sunlight where they're living and they're 
just got over eating poor over the holidays. Are you finding the emotional skills go down quantitatively as well then? That's a great question. Uh, we've certainly found a weather effect. So we do find that people at, at their um, immersion or happiness peak on Sundays and Mondays are the worst day. No surprise there. Um, people tend to have more of these troughs uh, in the morning than they do in the evening. I'm not sure why. These most of these are working people, so it could be the sort of stress from work. Um, I right. just gave a virtually a lecture in Denmark. I have an appointment at a medical school in Denmark, so I go there uh, every year to work. And I anyway give a talk. And um, uh, you know, the winter in Denmark, and the, well, you're northern too. You're past Calgary. Like you don't see the sun for more than a couple hours a day, or sometimes you don't see it for three or four days. And anyway, when when I'm in December in in uh, Denmark, you do get kind of depressed when you haven't seen the right. sun for three or four days. And so that seasonal affective disorder um, certainly shows up in the in the measurements. Absolutely. Wow. Now, just to backtrack here, uh, we were talking about how all of this is kind of being triangulated and how, how can we actually measure this? And I always simplify the brain as being in the nervous system as reading things from the outside environment, from your inside environment, processing that information, and then having an output. So read, process, react. Um, is this kind of along the, the terms of what you're seeing when you're actually coming up with metrics to, to, and biomarkers to measure this? Yeah, exactly. So again, the, the brain to save energy is looking for patterns. It wants to fit in what's happening now into a pattern. When that pattern is not fit, then there's an investment of metabolic resources to understand how, you know, which behavior is most appropriate, how to change or pivot uh, in this new situation. Um, some of that's fun, right? It's fun when you do something unexpected happens, surprise birthday party, whatever. That's, you know, could be fun. But if you're really in a space where you just have a difficulty making a decision, then you get these kind of low energy kind of pre-depressive symptoms where you're just you're anxious because we don't like uncertainty uh, in the brain and we don't know what to do. So um, absolutely. So the, the sort of neuroscience answer for that, it's a good neuroscience question, is, you know, we're getting a baseline every uh, time you turn the app on. So we're removing from baseline because everyone's baseline is different, the measurement. So it's always you compared to yourself. So it's the reaction to the environment you're in. And we do find interestingly that there are some personality traits that have higher immersion all the time. Uh, everyone always asks if it's extrovert. Right. It's not actually. We don't find that yeah. this social emotional evaluation mechanism is different for extroverts or introverts. We do find people who are agreeable and people who are more empathic by personality have a bigger response, emotional response for every environment they're in. Um, and so these are people, people. They're very warm. They have a lot of friends. Uh, they tend to be happier than, than less agreeable people. You want to be around them. They're super great to be around. They're your buddies, your friends. Nice. Now, any reason why somebody would say, okay, well, maybe I am uh, not, not too good on, on these, these things. And okay, well, how would I use this app to improve my, my emotional fitness then? Yeah, so the, the app has a ring to close, just like we do for steps. I think steps is a great 20th century measure for physical health, uh, easily measured. And this has a ring for emotional health. So um, I'm an introvert uh, and an athlete, so <laughs> I kind of fit your core 
<laughs> your core uh, demographic right there. <laughs> yeah. And so I can spend 12 hours in the lab not talking to anybody, but I've done a lot of experiments on myself because I have technology and I can run that experiment. So for example, some years ago, I decided to start talking to people in elevators okay. just to see what would happen. Yeah. And half those people are super happy. I mean, we're in a box. We all know we're there. It's not like you can, they don't see me. Like they know I'm there, that you know, they're in there. So, Hey, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, where where are you coming? You know, a hotel or something. You know, where are you coming in from? Oh, yeah, Florida. I was there last week. How cool! Um, and so you have a nice conversation. And about half the people, the other half are actually freaked out, which somehow makes me happy as well. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, why are you talking to me? Uh, because I'm standing next to you, and we're in a box. How's that? How are you? Is everything okay? Are you are you worried? Are you having stress response? So, um, again, doing it in a very nice way. Um, so that's something. As you probably know, uh, many years ago, uh, we showed that touch releases oxytocin, one of these chemicals that makes up this cocktail that I've called immersion. And so I decided I'll just start hugging people instead of shaking hands, which I still do. And, you know, it's such a great brain hack because who do you hug? Your family members, your best friends, you know. And so if you agree to hug me, then, you know, it's like your brain going, oh, this guy's great. He's I trust him. He's really wonderful. So um, we see that that kind of physical connection will induce oxytocin release and increase immersion. And then lastly, it can be done remotely. So um, you're probably around my age, maybe a little younger, but you know, when you have like, you know, dear, dear friends that you've known forever that I had a friend called me up yesterday. He's like, man, I love you. You're awesome. I'm like, oh, wow. Like one of my best guy friends, you know, like you get old enough. It's not weird to say that. I'm like, okay, you know, I got like five guys in the world that would pretty much do anything to help me. And that's freaking amazing. That's all you really need to be emotionally healthy is you know, family, you know, your family's going to be there. And, you know, for people who have family, it's okay. But, you know, to have three or four or five friends that will just be like, if you need me anytime, anywhere, I will show up, man, that's like, what else do you need in life? So just sharing that information and being open about, you know, your emotional state, or, hey, I'm really down, man. Can, any, any chance you can come over and hang out with me? Like, I'm just having a really bad day. I've made that phone call a couple of times in my life. And you can only do that with people you really know well. And like, yeah, come to my house. Come right now. Yeah, well, let's hang out. <laughs> that is perfect. Now, you mentioned uh, the people in the elevator there and kind of the different ranges. And have you also matched this up with then, okay, well, if somebody's low, um, what is a good way to bring that threshold up instead of crashing it the other way? And I know you're in the neuromarketing arena as well. Have you kind of identified different groups that would have different uh, approaches then to, to talk to them and to, to really build that connection? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, part of it is preceding any interaction, whether it's in-person marketing, a movie with establishing what I call psychological safety. Are you comfortable in this environment? So we, I created a physiologic measure of psychological safety that we pull from the vagus nerve and it tells us whether I'm comfortable. So if I'm not comfortable, if I'm haven't slept, I have to pee, I'm hungry. I don't have a lot of bandwidth. Now I'm thinking about those things. Those are, those are really urgent. I'm not thinking about being so nice to people or saying hi in the elevator Right. So I think the first step is make sure people are comfortable in your environment. So in the elevator example, sometimes I'm I'm a big guy, six foot four, two hundred pounds. If if I see like a smaller woman there, I won't say hi to her because it may seem creepy. Like I mean I'm I'm 60, so I mean it's not like I'm 
trying to pick up on anybody, but you know, I just want to make sure someone feels comfortable. So if I get a sense that you're not comfortable, I'm not going to talk to you. Well, we can sit there in silence. It's totally fine. Right. So first thing is make them comfortable. And the second is really think about an experience that's valuable to that individual. So if I start talking about me in the elevator, Hey, I'm just in from California. What are you doing here? I I like this. You know, you're like, dude, that's not, but if I say, how are you? Where are you coming in from? Oh, I love your suitcase. That's so nice. Oh, the shoes are beautiful. Whatever. Just, you know, some kind of small talk. They will go, oh, this is person seems genuinely interested, genuinely interested in me. And then you have a nice conversation. And what we find is that this, this social evaluation mechanism immersion is contagious. So if I'm kind to you in the elevator, if I give you a nice experience that reduces your physiologic stress, makes you feel happier you're a little bit nicer to the next person. So it can create this virtuous cycle in which we are really helping all of society live a little bit happier and healthier. Right. Now with this, you've got all sorts of experience in the research and it's taken you many different places, many different talks. Uh, What is kind of being your growth within this, um, what have you seen and what are some of the stories of your adventures in, in this ex- experience and immersion? Gosh, what a nice question. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, this really grew out of the tragedy of 9-11 and really um, helping the military give soldiers a, a more effective way to communicate and influence uh, people's behavior. Um, but it's really evolved into um, helping movie makers make better content, helping uh, advertisers uh, make stuff that I'm actually going to care about. Um, you know, we've done the nice thing about having what I call distributed neuroscience. That is, this can be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a lab. Is I've been around the world, you know, many times um, helping people set up studies uh, that are, I think, important, but also um, require an objective measurement of whether people are flourishing or not. So I think ultimately when your emotional fitness is high, you really flourish uh, as a human being. So I was in Africa recently, uh, working with a big health insurer there, uh, last week I was in Brazil. Um, and so it gives me a chance to, um, kind of multiply my impact, uh, because you don't have to be in my lab in a, you know, some control study, we can actually help people, um, understand how well people are flourishing anywhere. Um, and, and we have a business, we, you know, people pay us for the software they use and and there's nothing wrong with that. But once you have that tool, then it's so interesting to me that I don't have to think of every research study. We have people all the time going, Hey, could, could your uh, software help us understand this thing? And, um, often if it's a, if it's a social emotional thing, I said, yeah, so again, if David, if you were not here, if I was by myself and I'm drinking my can of uh, soda, um, no immersion increase. It's not social. Maybe it has a little emotional component. Diet Dr. Pepper, my favorite, my one remaining vice. Um, but you know, generally, uh, you know, it's 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 a social experiences. So um, you know, uh, we're doing some very interesting work now in neural diversity, and really digging into the factors for, um, you know, everyone's brain's a bit different. Uh, the factors that influence how we make decisions um, across a really range, broad range of um, brain organizations. Um, and I think that's not only helps us understand the beautiful variety of the human experience, but allows us to build 
acceptance for people as they are. And, uh, and you work with patients all day. I mean, you know, we have this broad range of individuals. Um, and I think somehow quantifying how their brain works helps us be a little more um, accepting for the, you know, the, the weirdness that could be in us all. Absolutely. And you mentioned a whole bunch about social connection and different ways we can kind of dive into it. Um, and there's so much difference there, as you mentioned, with the neurodiversity. But what about just with men versus women? Uh, were there different measurements and different ways you had to make kind of the metrics around that? Or is it kind of universal? Um, what's the, the process there? Another great neuroscience question. Thank you for that. Yeah, these signals we're getting are primarily in the brainstem, so they're strongly conserved across individuals. Um, so it looks like it's universal. So as you know, I've done field work from Papua New Guinea to uh, you know Africa, everywhere. And we actually find great uniformity in these signals. Um, what we do find is that for any given particular experience or day, that things like biological sex matters. Uh, my lab's done a lot of work on testosterone and estrogens, which influence uh, particularly these pathways for social behaviors um, in, in fairly complicated, not good, bad, but just different. So um, in some situations, for example, high testosterone males are much more pro-social, are helpers. Think of firemen, policemen, right? Sort of helping professions. Um, on the other hand, we find in other situations that um, women are much better negotiators uh, particularly when their estrogen levels are high because they have better social skills. They're, they're better able to read people, as you said earlier. And so I think even the, the simple demographic types or personality traits, even those are malleable because, you know, our brain and body are trying to adapt second by second just to, uh, you know, help us flourish in whatever environment we're in. Wow. Now that is probably an entire course and seminar I want to take from you. So I'm, oh, I'm very you. interested <laughs> in that. Um, but there's a lot of information you've already put out there, like uh, over 170 published uh, scientific papers. Um, and then, of course, your books are amazing. Uh, Trust Factor, The Science of Creating High Performance. Um, the Moral Molecule, The Source of Love and Prosperity. Um, moral markets, the critical role of values in the economy. Um, it just goes on. Immersion, the science of the extraordinary and the source of happiness, your, your recent book here. Um, what are some of the, the teasers that people can find in, in the books you've got out published? And, uh, and then how, how do they find you? Thank you again for asking. Um, I'll, I'll sort of focus on uh, Immersion, the latest book. Um, it really is a uh, science light, a book that identifies how to create um, marketing, customer experiences, education, training, movies, uh, stories that really move people, that um, create so much internal value that they really value the experience. So the work in the, we've done with education and training has been really exciting um, I think a lot of us learned if we had kids in Zoom school in the in the lockdown, a lot of it wasn't very good, to be honest, at least for my kids. Um, and so how do we begin to structure and use technology instead of having a person blah, blah, blah in front of a classroom, 
Um, so uh, Accenture, very uh, large professional services organization, has used our software for the past six years to optimize, measure and optimize the $1 billion they spend annually to train their own employees. So they're serious about getting a return on that investment. And what they found, for example, is they now, based on our data, broken down their training into 20-minute modules. They find that people cannot stay immersed for more than 20 minutes. So then you've got to do a switch. So maybe I talk for 20 minutes and then we take a little break and then we do some table work for 20 minutes and then we take a break and then we do some active task, right? They found that breaks have to be longer. So again, just like muscles fatigue when we work out, right. neurons also fatigue. We need that recovery time. So it's really stress recovery in the brain just like it's in the body. So anyway, Accenture was very cool. I just put a lot of their data in the book. But it's really kind of a guide on that. And then ultimately, the punchline of that book and honestly, a lot of my other books are how do we live the happiest and longest life possible? And so I think one of the most exciting findings from that book is in the last chapter uh, that people who have extraordinary experiences seem to be evolving their brain. The word is plasticity. Their brain's uh, changing so that they're more present, they're more emotionally open and they live longer and happier lives. And so right. how that happens is, is also part of the book. So super practical. So you can find me, uh, by the way, the app is free. It's called Tuesday, uh, iPhone only so far. It's a free okay. for users. Uh, so look on the app store. It's called Tuesday. So you can live your best Tuesday ever every day of the week. And you can find me at getimmersion.com, immersion with an I. And uh, anyone listening, happy to, to correspond. So shoot me an email. And um, what, a, what a real privilege to be on with you, David. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been amazing. And for everyone listening, check out Immersion and definitely download the app. And yeah, as Paul said, have the best day ever, best Tuesday ever, every day. And for everyone listening, tune into the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.